many of us likely assume as children of God that we will be, or at least should be, spared any pain and suffering in this life. I mean, after all, if God is all-powerful and God loves us, well, shouldn't he keep us from bad things? I mean, our dad is the Almighty. He can do anything about everything. And yet God tells us in his word that at times we will face pain and suffering, even when we are faithfully living for him. Some have called the presence of suffering the greatest challenge to the Christian faith. If God is all good, then why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, on Paul's first missionary journey, while Paul was preaching the gospel, he and Barnabas came to a city called Lystra. While Paul was preaching, God healed a man who had never walked. He had no strength in his legs, never walked, lame from his mother's womb. But Paul saw that he had faith. He commanded the man to stand. The man leaped up, completely healed. And the Gentiles who witnessed this miracle, they were astonished. They began to shout that Paul and Barnabas were gods. Paul and Barnabas were barely able to restrain them from offering sacrifices and worshiping them. But then here came a group of Jewish opponents of Paul from the surrounding area. They arrived and somehow they managed to turn the crowd. It's so interesting to me. They turned the crowd from worshiping Paul to stoning Paul. Those are some fickle folks. And miraculously, Paul survived. He bravely continued his missionary journeys in that area, including in Lystra. He got right back up from the pile of rocks under which he was buried, walked back into Lystra, and preached the gospel. And Luke summed up this period of Paul's life and ministry by saying that they were, quote, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 14, verse 22. When Paul talked about much tribulation, he knew of what he spoke. Paul was arguably the greatest follower of Jesus Christ who ever lived, and yet he suffered and showed us through his own experience in teaching that even God's holy, faithful people, even God's own children, will suffer. But along with that truth, according to 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3-4, through 4, Paul also promised us that God will comfort us in our suffering and deliver us from it. We will suffer. That's the bad news. But God will give us strength in our suffering. That's the good news. And we're going to talk more about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to LJ Harry. I'm your host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life companion podcast to go along with the lesson guide, the small group guide, to go along with the Sunday school lesson you might have heard or you will hear. This is the podcast just to help remind you of what we learned or will learn from that lesson. And this is dated July 10th, 2022, and it is entitled Strength and Suffering, and it's a brand new series that we have just embarked upon, and this series is called God is Our Refuge. And our very first episode comes from the 22nd Psalm, first and second verse, where the psalmist cried out, let's see if this sounds familiar, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did you know that was in the book of Psalms? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but 
thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I am not silent. The psalmist prayed that in the 22nd Psalm. The book before the book of Psalms is the book of Job. And Job 1 verse 6 says, The angelic sons of God, they came to present themselves before God as he sat on his heavenly throne. And surprisingly, here came Satan. He also appeared in that holy and heavenly court. And God asked him, well, What have you been doing there, Beelzebub? And Satan replied, I've, you know, the usual, going to, fro in the earth, walking up and down in it. And apparently seeking somebody Job could accuse as being unrighteous, being unfaithful. And to reply, Yahweh asked him, what about my servant Job? You considered him? There's none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and shuns evil. Job 1 verse 8. And Satan did not deny those accolades. Satan did not deny that Job appeared to be righteous, but he did question Job's motives. Yeah, I know he's righteous, but let me tell you why. So Satan laid down a challenge to God. You put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. Satan was implying that the blessings of God are the reason Job was following God. But once those blessings dried up, well, Job's, quote, righteousness would dry up and his supposed service to God would be shown for what it really was, just sinful self-service, just getting from God what he could get out of him. But God knew better. So God decided he would silence the great accuser by proving to him that Job's righteousness was genuine, that Job followed God because Job loved God. It was true worship. And in that proof, God would vindicate Job and vindicate himself. So God told Satan he could attack Job within limits. He could not attack Job's health. And Satan left Yahweh's presence and immediately made ready his assault upon the faithful, righteous, unassuming Job. Here's a question. If Satan could not attack Job without God allowing it, and God put limitations on the extent to which he could attack Job, can Satan really attack us anytime, any way he wants? That's a good question. Well, one day, Job suddenly heard a commotion. He looked up to see one of his servants running toward him and out of breath, crying out, Oh, oh, Job, Job, Sabians, they raided and killed your servants with the sword, took all the oxen and donkeys. I'm the only one who escaped. And while he was still speaking, another servant ran up. Sir, fire fell from heaven, burned up your sheep and shepherds. I'm so sorry. I'm the only one who escaped. While he was still speaking, another servant ran up. Chaldeans attacked. They took all your camels, killed all your servants. I'm the only one who escaped. In just minutes, Job's prosperity, Job's property were destroyed. As Job reeled in shock at this bad news, he heard another. This cry was a little more desperate. He cried out, Master, your your sons and your daughters. And Job thought, oh, no, not my children. Well, sir, they were all at your oldest son's house, and a tornado struck the house. It it, it, it collapsed on them. It it killed them all. I'm so sorry, sir. I'm the only one who escaped. In a moment, it wasn't just his property and prosperity. His children, his most precious possessions, were taken from him. How would Job respond? Overwhelmed with grief, Job rose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. Job worshipped. In his agony, in his pain, in his trauma, In his tragedy, he worshiped and he maintained his righteousness. Job 1 verse 22 says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. 
Job and God were vindicated. The accuser was silenced, or so it would seem. But the devil is ruthless and relentless. As Job was still suffering from this great law, Satan again appeared in the heavenly court. And God happily reminded Satan that Job still maintained his integrity before God. Satan was undeterred. He he laid down another challenge. Ah, yeah, skin for skin, though. All that a man hath, he will give for his life. You put forth your hand now and touch his bone, his flesh, he will curse you to your face. (laughs) I thought if I took his possessions, he'd curse me to my face, but okay. In other words, God, you destroyed Job's health. His worship will turn to cursing. So Yahweh told Satan he could afflict Job physically. He could touch his health, but he could not kill him, could not take his life. So Satan immediately went out and afflicted Job with boils all over his body. Job sat in a heap of ashes, mourning his fate and scraping sores with a potsherd, a picture of perfect suffering. And here came a few friends of Job just to try to help him. When these calamities came, they tried to comfort him. Job's appearance so shocked them that they began to weep themselves. They tore their clothes. They sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat with him in silence for seven long days. What could they possibly say in the face of such suffering? Their presence was all they could offer. During those long hours, Job silently grieved. Then suddenly he broke his silence and he cried out, cursing the very day he was born and lamenting his fate. Job cried out, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. I'm so sorry, Job. Let me ask you this. Who in your life is an encourager and helps you whenever you face difficulties? We all need that. What Job felt at that moment as he cried out was perfectly expressed in the anguished question David would later ask God as he suffered and he felt abandoned by God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear me. And in the night season, I am not silent, but you seem to be. David, just like Job, roared in anguish. So we have a pattern in scripture that reveals that God accepts us crying out to him when we face suffering. It's okay. In fact, God desires, he wants us to seek him and call on him when we find ourselves overwhelmed. He said, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and you shall glorify me. How do you pray when you face suffering? You don't have to pray perfect, polished, professional, make a preacher proud kind of prayers. You can be honest. You can be open with God. God, I don't understand. God, why are you allowing this? Why are you doing this? God, what is happening? That's okay. Most of us have never suffered in the extreme like Job has, but maybe you have lost your health or you've experienced some great financial loss or maybe you've grieved the death of a child or grieved a child rejecting God, or perhaps you've been betrayed by a loved one. Maybe you've experienced persecution for your faith or been constantly attacked and undermined at work because of your faith. Or maybe you've experienced the acute suffering of being unable to relieve the suffering of someone you love. Because of these struggles we face, we might assume God has forsaken us. We may see the absence of blessing as the absence of the presence of God. We may think God could hardly be with us if we're struggling like this, 
that these times David's words in the 22nd Psalm perfectly expressed how we feel. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If the struggles are bad enough, we might, like Job, wish we'd never been born. So what do we do when we face those times? We pray. We pray for answers. We pray for deliverance. We pray for wisdom. We pray at least for God's consoling comfort for his presence. And sometimes answers will rush in at once and we feel God is close to us, but sometimes answers don't come at once and we don't feel God at all. We might double down in our efforts and cry out to God more, but still receive no answer. And like David in the 22nd Psalm, we cry in the daytime, but we, we guess God just must not be listening. We cry in the night season and we're not silent, but God is. No answers come. No comforting touch. No presence envelops us. We don't feel him. We don't see him. We don't hear him. But in the following verses, verses 4 through 5 of the 22nd Psalm, it seems like David's sense of abandonment was increased as he remembered the stories of how God had delivered the Israelites in the past. They trusted in God. They cried out to God, and God delivered them. But this is not working for me like it worked for them. David was trusting. David was crying, but nothing. Yahweh had been David's God for as long as he could remember David had hoped in and trusted in God his whole life, and it had not been in vain. He had known the presence of God in the past, so he called upon God in the present just as he had in the past to remember, God, remember our relationship. Remember our closeness. Remember how close you've been in the past. Would you come near me again? Would you deliver me from this misery from which only you can save me? David recounted his misery to God. That's found in verses 12 through 18 of the 22nd Psalm. And then David confessed to God what he had learned a long time ago in his walk with God. God, you are my strength in suffering. David recalled God's strength in the past, and it moved David to call on God to hurry and be his strength again in the present. What about us? How can we use our past experience with God to strengthen our faith in him in the present. We don't know how long David had to endure this misery as he continued to seek God for strength, but we do know this, God heard him and God relieved his suffering. And in profound gratitude and relief, David cried out to God in the 21st verse of the 22nd Psalm, you have answered me. Isn't that a wonderful comfort? Isn't that a wonderful hope to know when we cry out, it may not be as soon as we want to, but it will be when we need it, God will answer us. David was reminded that although he may have felt forsaken, God had never left his side. The 22nd Psalm is not the only verses in Scripture to affirm this truth that the presence of God will be present even in suffering. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 tells us, be strong and of good courage. God is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, fear thou not for I am with thee. Be not dismayed for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yes, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And Psalm 46 verse 1 assures us, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Because of this, the psalmist added, therefore, we will not fear. God never promised we would not have trouble. If you hear that from somebody, don't believe them. They haven't read their Bible or they don't understand their Bible. 
God never promised we wouldn't have trouble, but God did promise he would be present in our trouble. He promised to be the very present help in trouble. God is not present just to observe our suffering and just watch us. No, he is present to help us, to strengthen us, and in his sovereign timing to save us from our suffering. By faith, rather than drawing back in fear, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4 verse 16. In response to God's promises to be present and strengthen us in suffering, we will, with God's wonderful help, consciously put our trust in God in the midst of our suffering. One more question. What are some practical ways we can be sure to remember God's promises? How can we use these ways to be strengthened when we are suffering or to strengthen others who are suffering? Let me give you one practical way I do it. I use an app. This is not an advertisement for Evernote, but I use an app called Evernote, which if you have an iPhone, you might use. I think it's called iNotes, maybe. I'm not quite sure. I don't have an iPhone. But I use an app called Evernote that I record I journal throughout the day. This is what happened today. But also when the Lord speaks to me or God works miracles in my life, I will tag those with word from the Lord. And so in those times when I feel like God is silent, I go back to the times I knew God was speaking and I could hear his voice and I knew what he was saying. And I will remind myself, this is what God has said to me. In times when God answers prayers, when I pray them, I go back to Evernote and I take a look at, these are the things God has done for me when I prayed and cried out to him. It's kind of like memorial stones that I remind myself in those times when I forget that God has not forgotten and God is still there. So maybe that's one practical way you can remember and you can be encouraged in times you feel like God is silent. Okay, we're going to wrap this up. If you're suffering today, Just hearing these promises, they may not immediately comfort you or they might not change how you feel about what you're going through, but can you at least commit to begin to claim these promises? God will never leave. God will not forsake. God will not stay silent. God is present. It's easy to be angry at God. It's easy to doubt God for letting us suffer. Why would a good God allow me to go through so much trauma and tragedy. And then sometimes in response, we even turn from God because we can't understand his ways. And that's understandable, but it only hinders his efforts to strengthen us and heal us. We must give him the opportunity to work in our lives. Try not to dwell on the why of your suffering. We'll never get that one. Rather, dwell on God's promises to strengthen and deliver you. Dwell even more on the remarkable promise that God will cause all things in your life, even your suffering, to work together for good. According to Romans 8, verse 28, God will knit it all together for good. And one day God may reveal. He might even explain why he allowed you to go through what you've gone through, but then again, he may not. We don't find where God told Job why. All Job ever knew for sure was he had not turned from God and God had not turned from him. And in time, God restored his fortune and God ended his suffering. We find that in the very last chapter of the book of Job. We have no promise God will give us the why for the what, but we do have a promise that God will be with us through all of it. So let's follow the examples of Job and follow the example of David and refuse to turn from God though 
everything in us cries out in pain. God will give you strength in your suffering. Just turn to him, cry out to him, cling to him, receive from him. And having received, worship. Just as Job and David did, worship God. In gratitude, praise him as Paul did in his suffering. You'll be able to say, as Paul said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4. I would like to lead you in prayer today for those who are suffering and going through what you never thought you'd go through. I want to pray that God would be with you. And for those who are suffering, pray that God would strengthen you. And also pray that God would help us to be encouragers and minister to those who are suffering. Lord Jesus, you are good. Even when life is far from good, you are good. When our days are more bad than good, you are good. In our illnesses, in our grief, in our losses, in our trauma, in our tragedy, God, you are good. In our abuse, in our neglect, in our betrayal, God, you are still good. I pray minister to those, comfort those, console those, speak to those who are suffering, those who are hurting, those who are grieving. God, please minister to them and speak to them in their suffering and comfort them and console them in their suffering. Let them know you are there, you are present, you have not and you will not forsake them. And please also, Lord, I pray, use us to minister to those who are suffering. Let us be as your church, your body, those who will minister and reach out to those who are hurting and going through difficult, tragic times. Help us to minister to them. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, use us to encourage those who are suffering. Thank you for your presence and for your church. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I pray this episode has been a blessing and encouragement to you and to others. Be sure to click subscribe and share so you and no one you love will ever have to miss an episode. You'll be able to stay caught up and walk with us as we walk through God's Word for Life. Head over to PentecostalPublishing.com. Great resources for discipleship to grow you and your faith and others and their faith and their walk with Jesus Christ. Next week, we continue this beautiful series called God is Our Refuge, and we continue this theme of worship in the midst of suffering. Our next episode is called Bless the Lord at All Times. And it stems from the 34th Psalm. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, Visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.